Battel for Kids is proud to present the EdSpark podcast with Dr. Karen Garza. Battel for Kids is a national not-for-profit organization with the mission of realizing the power and promise of 21st century learning for every student. This panel I mentioned last week that we were interviewing from these different sectors, we asked them, what do they, you know, what kind of questions do they, what are they seeking when they're looking for either interns, even, you know, some students in high school that they're looking to intern. They'll say one of the key questions we ask is, what is a project project that you've been involved in? It'd be a real shame if our students didn't have an answer to that, right? Well, Um, and then the follow-up I'm sure was, and how did you face a challenge and get over that? Right, right. So a project, and then the challenge. And if you can demonstrate that you've thought through an entire systemic project and you're resilient, you're way way in front of everybody of other people. Absolutely. So you know, I know that that around the work that you're talking about, the research is really clear that you know business and industry are looking for young people that. Oftentimes they can teach them the discrete knowledge that is necessary for a particular position, but they're wanting these other skills that are necessary. Students that can, I mean, and the research is clear on this, been tons of research on it. We need, we need young people who communicate, who can collaborate, who can problem solve, who can um, come up with, who are innovative and, you know, who are learners that can really learn into a situation. Um, so that's impetus for some of this, kind of thinking differently about our education systems, but it's also around what we're learning now more than ever before around the science of learning and how people best learn. I feel like these line up so well. Um, So people that might be a a little bit um, critical or suspect of why are we changing? Why are we pushing a change in our educational systems today? It's fine the way it is. The traditional model is fine. What would you say about, what would you say to that? I would say every generation learns differently. And there's two choices we have as adults. Either we can try to unlearn the generation of kids the way that they learn naturally and force them to learn the way that we learned, or which I think is a much better practice, is we adjust our instructional strategies and practices to meet the learning needs of this generation. And our world is evolving, right? We should not want to produce graduates that have the exact same skill set as previous generations, if we want to say the greatest global society the world has ever seen, right? And so when you think about jobs that are being taken up by technology now, right? Like we know jobs are, there's some jobs are going away. Well, there's two things you can do. You can complain about it or you can build the technology, you know? And our argument would be build the technology, learn how to fix the technology and ensure that students have that adaptability and the flexibility and being able to communicate, being able to problem solve, or I like solution find better than problem solving because I've had some people that have spent a lot of time defining problems that I'd much rather focus on finding solutions. Um, But that's what the work has to be about, Mm -hmm. you know? And you can say what you want about technology. Karen, I don't think it's going away. So, you know, the reality is we have to embrace the opportunity that's provided to us to prepare our students to be able to use whatever the technology is, but not just the way it is right now. That, that's why the creativity, you know, the, the whole um, STEAM concept of adding the arts into the technology, engineering, and math becomes so critical for people, you know? And so I just, 
I would I would just say to those that are not supportive of kind of reimagining the next iteration of public education, we're trying to prepare your children to be successful in a world that doesn't even exist yet. And with jobs that we don't know what they're going to look like. I mean, none of us even knew chat GPT six months ago, mm-hmm. right? And then, and you can either complain about it or embrace it, right? I mean, I saw somebody uh, about a week and a half ago have their phone on with chat GPT to have a student or have a teacher talk about a special needs student, no names, of course. And at the end of that person talking for about 10 minutes, created a whole IEP. And when asked the team, the team said, that's just as good, if not better than what we wrote. Well, imagine the time that could save that would allow those educators to be focused on working with their students rather than working on paperwork. Yeah, I think the opportunity is just endless as to really thinking about uh, innovations in the area of technology and how we're utilizing those to make our, you know, to accelerate improvement or to make our our, our work maybe more efficient. Um, You know, but even for our students, I mean, think about, you know, people are so concerned about, oh, now chat GPD is going to write papers. Um, That may or may not be the case in some, you know, certain circumstances. But think about the skills we could teach our young people in because that's not always exactly accurate, but the ability to read a, a, a paper and and correct it to to assess what's correct and what's incorrect. You know, so I think it's it's not only using those resources, but it's also thinking about the careers for the future that will be when people are scared that, well, we're going to lose jobs to, to AI or lose jobs to technology. We also know the research is clear. It also creates new jobs around that technology, right? You still will need human beings who can, 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 um, can use those skills that those tech, those technologies, whatever they are, and really bring them to life into in response to challenges and needs in our society. That should inform our practice, right? You know, so we should be spending time on editing or thinking about spending time on editing. And I think, you know, from a communication perspective, the AI is only as good as the questions that are put in as prompts, you know? So I think they call them now prompt engineers. I think that's mm-hmm. the, name, the name that they're called. But working with our kids to make sure they're asking the right question of the right person at the right time, you know? I mean, I think that that's another skill that we should be using the technology to help guide our adult work in providing those instructional practices. The, and the other thing I think is, is really powerful is this is not a fad. This is just a new thing. Um, since the 1990s, we've learned more about how human beings best learn than ever before. And if you think about it, our traditional model of education hasn't changed that much since the 1990s. And we know full well that sitting in rows, doing independent work, is not how human beings best learn. That learning is a social endeavor. That conversation and the opportunity to really engage in work is a much more, um, you know, uh, opportunity for the brain to learn and to absorb and to, to wrestle with um, discrete content or knowledge or understandings. And so I, th- I think we're learning more and more and more about what, what's needed for the workforce and how that's changing, and then also how do, how do human beings best learn? I think these things line up so nicely with this report. 
Well, I think that, you know, just supports the work that you all do with your profiles, right? So are we, are we making sure that we're living and breathing what is the best research for our learners and our adults and all stakeholders? I mean, we learned during the pandemic, we needed to provide a lot more support to our parents on how to support their kids using technology, you know? And so making sure that we're thinking about, and that's one of the things, um, you know, from the commission's report that we talked about that all community members are learners and stakeholders, and we need to provide support for all learners in our community. Yeah, you know, the, I, I have seen for myself as a school superintendent and then now at Patel for Kids, the power of broadly engaging your community and shaping the future direction of your school system. You know, and I, I've always reminded people, the schools are not the superintendent schools. You know, it's not that principal school. It's the community schools. It's they're paying the taxpayer dollars to, for that school. They're contributing and investing in that school system. The community should have a say. And first of all, and secondly, and when they do have a meaningful say, it can create such positive goodwill in the community around um, an understanding and commitment toward um, everyone, the broader community, investing in all the young people in that community. I just think it's such a powerful, uh, and and if you think about it, when people say, well, oh, it's better in the past. Well, I can tell you in the past, I'm not sure too many communities had a meaningful say in the direction of their school system. I'm also not sure. I'm also not sure every student who came mm -hmm. to school had it better than in the past than they do today, or they will tomorrow. I, I, I agree with that as well. Um, but I would also say that that never, you know, this, this community um, grassroots effort to set the direction of the system in light of how the world is changing, because I think that's a really important piece of this. It's not just asking people their thoughts, but really sharing with them the research around how the world is changing and the implications for our young people. But even beyond that, it will never, ever, ever take the place of a parent working with a teacher to meet the needs of their individual child. That there's that will never supplant that. That's still at its at its core, a fundamental and, and important piece of meeting the needs of every child and working with their parents. Yeah, it's one of our core belief statements at ASA that the parent is key to the whole education process and they should be as engaged and involved as they can be and they want to be. Um, but their role, I mean, you, I mean, it is instrumental in the growth and development of that child over time. Agree a thousand percent, Karen. Yeah. And so it's not an or it's, it's, it's an, and the community voice. And you know what, if I, if I still, I have grandchildren in schools today. And to me, I think there's something really powerful and affirming that a community has a voice in the school my grandchildren go to, but at the same time, I know my kids are involved in their with their children's uh, teachers and making sure their individual needs are are being met. It doesn't supplant that. It's an it's an and I think yeah, it has to be a partnership. Um, mm -hmm. And and all that can do is benefit the student if the parent exactly. and the teacher are working together. So I want to ask you about the notion of future driven, because I know it's something that's important to you. I know it's in a lot of the literature from AASA. Um, I just thought it'd be important for our listeners to understand what, what do we mean? What do you mean by being future driven? For sure. So I think we've been talking about future focus forever, 
at least my entire time in education. But future focus is about thinking. And as you just said, Karen, you know, from the 1990s to today, we've seen pockets of excellence across the country. But in so many other places, our classrooms look like they did 40, 50 years ago. And that's just, that's not okay, you know? And so for me, future driven means action. And that's what I want us to be. I want us to act to ensure that we're providing the best education possible in each community for every single child. And we can do that if we work together. But we can't do it if we're just going to stay over in this thinking space and have conversations. We have got to act. And that's why I personally love the future driven piece of the work or part of the work. Yeah, and I think you described earlier why that's important too, and that is we have to be thinking about how we're preparing the, the young people of today for their futures, not our past. Yep. Um, and, I, and I think we have to be um, action-oriented around that. Um, I also feel like this, is, this isn't hyperbole. I really think we're at a tipping point in education systems today. I mean, when we look at, we have, you know, challenges certainly that I think are daunting that require our attention and our action. You know, our pipeline, for an example, um, you know, is, is one of the things I think educational equity is still something that I know people are, um, you know, that, that term has gotten some uh, pushback, but I just can't understand how anyone could be against educational equity, meeting the needs of every child. I think that's why we exist as school district leaders is meeting the needs of every child. Um, so I just wanted you to comment uh, on those things. Yeah, well, I think that goes back to what I mentioned earlier and why I really appreciate the work of the commission. Because if we're from an educational equity perspective, right, if we are meeting every student where they are at, we should be able to accelerate their learning, every student, right? But that can't happen if we don't teach them where they're at if we're teaching them way below what they where they're at or way above where they're at there's we're, we're doing a disservice to both of those kids so that's why these personalized pathways of choice within the proximal zone of development i just think is so critical to the whole educational equity perspective and and you know our belief that no learner should be marginalized well the way no learner is marginalized is again, teach them where they're at and provide those instructional practices. That's why it's critical for teachers to be able to know where all their students are at, right? And be given the resources to take that next step and provide the instructional practices within that, within, within where they're currently learning. EdLeader21 is Battelle for Kids' network of innovative school systems committed to the transformation of education, anchored in a renewed vision for student success in the 21st century portrait of a graduate. Battelle for Kids is now accepting new memberships into the network for the 2023-2024 school year. Don't miss your chance to join the nation's premier network for education transformation and become connected with hundreds of systems around the country committed to 21st century deeper learning. Learn more about membership at bfk.org edleader21. That's bfk.org edleader21. And we're not talking about a zero-sum game. Correct. You know, we're not talking about if we give one child more attention or more of something because that's what they need, that it's taking anything away from another another student. I do feel like when we're, you know, we're adequately resourced and we have, um, you know, we've invested in our staff 
so we have teachers that are well equipped and our leaders are well equipped, we can meet the needs of all children within a system. Uh, but we have to think differently about the traditional model. The traditional model, the traditional model is to some extent a one size fits all. Yep, I, I agree with that. And I also think um, that it impacts professional development dollars mm -hmm. and teacher prep programs. Because if higher ed is preparing students to teach to the students of yesterday rather than the students of tomorrow, then it's incumbent upon districts to do the exact same thing I just talked about with the kids, unlearn the way that they were taught to teach and teach them the best practices. So I think that's important. Um, that's important as well. And I think is a positive if we talk about, again, that whole love of learning, right? If our, if our teacher prep students love the learning they're receiving, they're going to stretch and they're going to see it in their kids, their students, and it's going to cause everybody then to continue to grow, put the love back in learning. More people then hopefully want to enter the teaching profession, which then means we'll have a greater pool of people looking for administrative positions because that pool is really weak in a lot of places right now. And I don't mean with quality candidates. I just mean in pure numbers of candidates. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the people who hopefully will then become future district office leaders and superintendents. And like I said at the beginning, there's no better job than a superintendent. 86% of the time. <laughs> I love the job when I was a superintendent, but I also love being a principal and a teacher. So I think there, there's nothing better. I don't believe than being an educator. I think it's, it's, a it's, it's a important uh, profession. And one that I think that people are doing really high quality, meaningful work. Um, so, I, you know, I, I give so much credit to our people who are out there in the field today doing the, doing the, you know, this really, really important work. Um, and I, I couldn't think of a better profession for people that really want to give back to to their community. So a couple of questions we have in our in our the time we have left, and that is, what do you think is on the horizon for our educational systems and kind of what do you think system leaders should be thinking about? I think system leaders should be thinking about how to encourage staff and their their leaders, their principals to thinking about tomorrow. And I'll get to the tomorrow piece in a second, but they have to be encouraged to embrace some new things and to try new things um, and that are research-based and, <clears throat> you know, that makes sense. Um, and I think the way of tomorrow is going to be districts and states having to choose between whether or not they're going to embrace technology or they're going to try to not embrace technology and shut down technology. Um, and I would just say this to those that are thinking about restraining or constraining the use of technology, your kids are going to use it anyway. So why not help them to use it in a responsible manner and have help teach them how to best access what they should be accessing, using what they should be using the way they should be using it. Um, <clears throat> but if you think you're going to eliminate the use of technology, you're never going to meet the need of every student. It's impossible not to marginalize some students. And you're not going to be preparing them for the world they're going to inherit. It's, I mean, it's almost that simple, Karen, from my perspective. You know, and I, I think, too, when I, when I mentor new superintendents or school leaders, I always ask them, kind of, what is the work that you want to lead? What kind of impact do you want to have on your systems? And, and I think it's the same as what we described earlier with teachers. I think leaders really want to have this far-reaching impact and really, really want to lead 
the innovative work that we're talking about, but it's a lonely job. <laughs> so I think one of the things I would advise them to do is look and find those other districts throughout. It may not be in your region of the country, you know, region of your state where there are innovative um, school system leaders, but they're out there. They're out there. They're in our networks. They're working with AASA in so many ways. Find people that are doing the kind of work that inspires you and be in, in, in community with them and it'll help you accelerate the work. And, you know, also we'll give you wonderful ideas from how they're approaching the work. You know, I, I will see so many great examples of really innovative work that's going on in all different places across the country. And it'll spark an idea for a superintendent in another place. And you know what? When they implement it, it's equally amazing, but it's different. So I feel like it's like it's not a cookie cutter kind of work we're talking about, either in the commission or, or what our organizations do. But it's an opportunity to take an idea and make it localize it and make it your own. I say all the time, you know, you should not adopt what work in, in our my former district, you should adapt it to your context. Don't try and adapt anything because every every context is different. But I've never been to a site visit where I haven't come back and thought about doing something differently or enhance or improve or tweak. Like every time I go, and you and I are very similar, that we love to learn. We love to have those our mindset expanded. So, you know, I agree. I, I would say being a superintendent or a school leader is a lonely job if you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be. That's between good, your network, between our cohorts, you know, there are plenty of opportunities for you to find like-minded people with whatever it is that inspires your greatest love of learning um, and encourage you to continue to do the work. But I'll be honest with you, Karen, I'm very concerned um, with school and system leaders who became leaders during COVID because all they know is managing. And we didn't, I mean, for most, most superintendents and principals, it was management for about 18 months there, you know? And so that's, I don't think that's the way to sustain yourself as a leader. But if you didn't have any experiences in taking time to read some magazines and to grow professionally, listen to podcasts like this, you know, go research websites of best practices. If you, if you didn't have time to do that, which we didn't have a lot of time for those 18, 24 months, it may not be part of your just normal cadence of leadership. And you have to give yourself time. Like if the one thing I would say to anybody who's listening, like give yourself permission to dream and lead for excellence. That's where the fun of the work is. That's where the transformational work is, is in changing your community for the better, right? Mm -hmm. And providing opportunities for every kid. Like that's what's awesome about this work, right? Not figuring out how far apart lunch tables have to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And it's like, you know, really stepping back and being a reflective learner and thinking about where am I spending all my time and energy? And if it's all in the things that you just described, that it can be draining as a person. You need the, you need to balance, hey, we, we're real. You, there are things that happen in school districts. You and I both know this as form, former superintendents that you have to deal with, right? When something happens, you have to deal with it. 
but if that's all you you spend your time and energy on, you know, you need to step back and think, okay, how am I investing in my own learning? How am I leading this district so that I'm an inspirational leader that's really helping everyone through the system see the future and not the pro the day-to-day -day, uh, problems? And I'm of the opinion you can do both. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can deal with the, you know those problems that are the day-to-day -day really challenging uh, problems while also keeping your focus on the future. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. And I tell aspiring leaders all the time, do not keep your email open the entire day because you're going to get, you're, you can completely get managed by the dings, right? Every time a new ding hits, you have to go look at it. No way, man. Give yourself chunks of time to lead, to get out in buildings, see what's going on, talk with other people. Don't be managed. Don't manage your entire day through emails and little red mailboxes fly, flipping up. So, Dave, I can talk with you all day because I just think you're such an extraordinary leader and have such depth of knowledge and understanding around um, education and leadership. So I want to finish, you know, our time together, complete this time with asking you about what are you excited about with regard to the future of AASA and what do you hope is on the horizon um, for that work for AASA? I'm super, super excited about a lot of things, Karen. Uh, I think probably most so um, ensuring that we have robust aspiring pipelines. Um, our kids deserve the best of the best in our school system leaders, and then supporting and ensuring the support for people that are currently in the role um, through professional development, through different cohorts, through partnering with Patel for Kids, with uh, the networks, uh, with your networks. Um, the profile work that you do. Um, and then I just think we were at, I agree with you. I think we're just at this juncture of time where if, if we're intentional and strategic about the work, I really think we can get to scale with some transformational work to really ensure that all of our systems are preparing students for the world of tomorrow, not yesterday. So I, I think you just, the, the opportunities are just so exciting that of the work and the impact that AASA can have. I've long been a member of AASA. I can't even remember how long I've been a member, a long, long, long time. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's one of the, I, I believe, the premier um, national organization for school system leaders. Um, and I think there's just a wonderful uh, opportunity for you all to, kind of shape the direction, help us think differently about the future of education. And it, we're very, very excited that you're going to be taking the helm and or have taken the helm. Uh, and just know that myself and my organization, and I know many, many people throughout the country are wishing you well and standing in, you know, in your corner um, and helping us make this, this shift as educational system. So thank you for your courageous leadership uh, and just know that we're all here to support you in any way we can. Thanks, Karen. You know, I've long respected you and your work and your leadership. So it's uh, it's really fun to be able to partner with organizations like yours uh, to move the conversation forward. And that's exactly what we're going to continue to do in the days, weeks, and years to come. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate your time today. And thank you for your leadership. Thank you. Be well. Dr. Dave Schuler is the Executive Director of AASA, the School Superintendents Association, a position he began this year. 
He previously served as superintendent for 16 years at High School District 214, Illinois' largest high school system. He started the National Redefining Ready movement, which redefines what it means for students to be college, career, and life ready. You can learn more about AASA in the show notes. The Ed Spark Podcast with Dr. Karen Garza is a production of Battelle for Kids. Visit bfk.org to learn more about how we are helping to transform education systems nationwide. That's bfk.org.